How do we do mission in the 21st century? Could it be that we can get alongside people and serve as humble alongsiders and humble outsiders? Hello and welcome to the God Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and a very special guest on the show today is Craig Greenfield, the author of a new IVP InterVarsity Press book called Subversive Mission, Serving as Outsiders in a World of Need. And this title is very important as we'll find out. Craig is the founder and director of Alongsiders International a grassroots movement of young Christians reaching the world's poorest children. Craig is from New Zealand and has lived and worked for more than two decades in marginalised communities in Asia and North America. And Craig joins me now. It's a real privilege. Craig, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Well, it's a joy to have you with us. And this, this book is fascinating for the whole this whole concept of getting alongside folk and mission. I found this fascinating. Now, why, mm. is, it, why is it important? I'm going to come on to ask you about your background in a minute. But why mm. is it important to ask the question, Craig, whether we're ministering as outsiders or insiders? What difference does it make? Um, I, well, I think it makes a huge difference. And um, well, if we if we trace back to the birth of Jesus, look at Luke chapter two, where Jesus is born in Bethlehem um, because of the census being undertaken by the Roman Empire. And um, really, an empire takes a census for two main reasons, tax and soldiers. Right. How many soldiers can you conscript or how many do you have to oppress? Um, so it's about money and power. The empire is about money and power. And those things are also the characteristics of what colonialism looks like. And so now you can see how I'm circling back around to um, missions, the history of missions, um, sometimes, not always, of course, um, hand in hand with colonialism. And the reason I say that is because money and power have been issues mm. in the past and today. Money and power are issues in how we relate to those who are poor. And so when we go into the whole world and we go into the world to share the gospel, and we, if we're blind to those issues of money and power, um, then really we're going to run ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And so it's interesting in Luke 3, John the Baptist calls two very specific groups to repent, the tax collectors and the soldiers, um, money and power mm. as they represent money and power the twin pillars of empire and so really what this book is about is how do we kind of unshackle ourselves um, from the twin pillars of money and power the things that empire brings colonialism brings and get back to the upside down kingdom of jesus which was always about empowering the poor always about transformation um, through often using the poor I wonder what sort of power Western missionaries still carry or are perceived to carry. Mm -hmm. Well, well, certainly in poor communities, and, and I speak as someone who has lived in Cambodian slums for 15 years, um, we do hold power. Right? It's, it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. We, we hold power, we hold privilege, and we have access to resources that our poor neighbours simply don't have. And that's just, that's not for me to feel guilty about. That's not for me to beat myself up about. But if I go into those situations without that self-awareness of what, of how that money and power skews those relationships, skews the gospel message, um, because the message is, is the medium very often. Um, if, if I'm unaware of those, then it's simply going to be a mess. 
Yes. What drew you to Cambodia? I think I think you say in your book you you are drawn to the most extreme places on earth. Yeah. <laughs> well, well um, apart, it's... From fact, apart from the fact you're a Kiwi, and I think that's part of the yeah. Kiwi psyche anyway. We love we loved the sort it of. It is. It is. What is uh, it? Well, it's probably also a little bit more um, ordinary than that. My wife um, was sponsored to New Zealand as a Cambodian oh, refugee. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, by by Saint Am- Andrew's Presbyterian. Great, uh, yes. yep. and um, so so you know when I met her, actually, I already had this interest in Cambodia because my parents had also fostered two Cambodian refugees, and so these church connections of of just practicing radical hospitality um, bear so much fruit down the line, and so I had this childhood connection with Cambodia, and and was sensing God's calling um, to go and serve amongst the poor. And uh, so that's that's where we ended up in the slums uh, of Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia. Gosh, yes, challenges. What were I mean? You would have faced so many challenges. Can you give us an example of a couple of the the biggest challenges you faced? Um, well, there's there's the mundane challenges. <laughs> I mean, we had um, one of the one of the challenges coming from a Western perspective is just our sense of individualism. So I, you know, moving into the slum, people sitting on my, you know, we lived in a, in a little shack, tin, tin roof. We had a power pylon through our bathroom that people would clamber over at night to hook up electric, uh, you know, illegal electric connections with. Um, so people are on three, four sides of us, little shacks, and not only that, but sitting on the ladder that goes up to my front door. So we, we only had one front door um, and one window. Everything else was enclosed by the slum all around us. And people would be sitting on my ladder. And just the sense of, you know, Kiwi kind of, you know, you're in my front yard. This is my ladder. <laughs> and honestly, and this was, you know, 20 22 years ago when we first went to Cambodia, and it's been 22 years of unpacking the sense of individualism that I hold as a, as a European Westerner. And it's very fascinating to be in a culture where harmony and being part of the community is so, you know, part of the fabric of their being. And so, so extrapolating that into the gospel, now, the way that we even explain the gospel is so individualistic. Yeah. So there's a lot of unpacking to do there. Yes, yes. So you're right about individualism. I'll come back to talk about that, but we'd better get on to the alongside of business and the outside of business. Now, you've got mm-hmm. you've got five missional types in your book, I think, and we, I'm going to spend a bit of time unpacking some of those, if you will, if you can. Yeah. Um, but first, I want to ask you where the idea of an alongsider came from. Yeah, well, um, actually, the the... The term was coined by a guy by the name of Michael Duncan, um, who lived in the slums in Manila for many years. And um, and full credit to Michael, he he coined this term um, and has been going around churches, you know, sharing how you can be alongsiders to your neighbors, which is beautiful. Um, but the alongsiders movement came about in Cambodia when we began to challenge young Christians to walk alongside those who walk alone, to take on one vulnerable vulnerable child each is their little brother or sister and um i went and shared that vision with michael duncan one day and and he said that's a great vision craig what are you going to call it and i said i would love to call it alongsiders it's such a great name mm. and he gave us that name he gave us the website and uh, since then the, the movement has spread into 25 countries around the world Seventeen thousand children and youth involved 
Wow, yes. Now, um, it's a great way to, to do evangelism because you're literally walking with someone and it's, it's, very, right. it's very effective. Um, mm -hmm. Let's come on to the business of outsiders. Now, if I remember rightly, you start your book with this amazing story of a phone call that you got mm -hmm. uh, inviting you, well, you tell the story, inviting you to yeah. a youth conference with 20,000 young people. But you yeah, 20,000 young people. You didn't yeah. go, did you? You, cho you chose not to go. Now, this is an amazing story. Tell us about this. That's please. right. So, so I do I do a bit of speaking around the place and um, have a lot of connections in India, of course. The Alongsiders movement is is in India. Um, and one day, you know, a big-name pastor phones me up for, or sends me a message from India and says, I want to invite you to be a keynote speaker at this Indian conference, 20,000 young people. And, um, you know, I'd been around long enough to think it through, to give it a second thought. And um, to pray it through and, and spoke to my mentor there in India, Paulus. And he said, look, Craig, this isn't a good idea. <laughs> this is not a good idea. You're going to be on that stage. And yes, you'll be talking about alongsiders. You'll be talking about all, all the things that are fantastic. It's, it's, it's the gospel. And yet that message will be interpreted by all of those 20,000 through the color of your skin and through what you represent. Not through any fault of your own, just who you are is the message. And wouldn't it be better, Craig, Wallace says, if it was an Indian person giving that message? If it was, you know, one of the, you know, thousands of qualified Indian people to give this very message. In fact, Paulus himself ended up giving that message. He was actually just the right person. I, I twisted his arm and said, Paulus, you should go and do it. And um, what a much better solution that, um, you know, I think very often we think we're the only ones who can, <laughs> who can do these things. So if I've, got the, if I've got the message of subversive mission right, and I read it with great interest, uh, you're absolutely right. You say instead of us going in with Western money and power uh, and turning up as a white saviors, I think is the phrase you use, and splashing lots and lots of money about, uh, we would be better to work alongside people in the local communities teach them, empower them, and get them to do the work themselves. Something, is something like that the idea? I, that's, that's roughly, roughly, yes. roughly, roughly I mean, <laughs> Cambodians have a saying, it takes a spider to repair its own web. Yeah. And it's the sense in which insiders, local people, are at the very heart of what God is doing in any community and need to be. Mm. for the work to go forward. Now, COVID was absolute, you know, inflection point for mission. 70 to 80% of missionaries went home for various reasons. And most of those, or many of them, will not return. And what's sad is how many of those ministries stopped because the missionaries left. And that, to me, is, is very telling um, because they simply were not owned by local people. They simply were not replicable by local people, and they're not able to continue without outside funding. And so where we have used money and power to get things going um, and created unsustainable ministries, then the sad thing is those things will, are not built on a strong foundation. Mm. Mm. Okay. I think the first category you mentioned in your book is uh, Catalyst. 
yeah. Uh, so how how okay? You're talking to um, missionaries, church pastors, ordinary people in the pew on this podcast. Yeah. How how can we each of us serve as an outsider catalyst? Right. So so the framework I've used is Ephesians four, and and we're we're all mostly familiar with the fivefold uh, ministry types. You know, you've got apostle, you've got the pastor, you've got the prophet the teacher, the evangelist. And what I want to suggest is that these roles actually are, are, are wonderful and make a lot of sense in the situation where you're an insider, where you are the one to carry the ministry forward. So it makes perfect sense. You're a pastor in Seattle or Auckland. Um, you pastor your people. You shepherd your flock. But when you get on that plane and go somewhere else and become an outsider, someone very often who will hold more power and resources than local people. Really what I want to suggest is that we take off that hat and put on a different one. So for the pastor becomes a midwife, helping local people give birth to um, communities of faith. Now you've mentioned catalyst. That's really the role of the apostle. So for me, I, you know, I don't call myself an apostle, but I call myself a social entrepreneur, someone who loves to pioneer new initiatives for the kingdom of God. Things that um, will benefit the poor, will, will, will grow the church, you know, church planting, initiatives for the poor. Um, but my role, again, is not to be there forever. I'm not omnipresent like God is, and I shouldn't be. There's a time for me to step back. And to be a catalyst instead is that role of helping local people give birth to the vision that God has put in their hearts so that they will own it going forward and they will create it in ways that can be carried on even when I'm not there. Hmm. Uh, another category you mentioned is allies. Uh, yes. Am I right? Um, uh, catalysts, mm -hmm. alongsiders, allies, seekers, yeah. and guides, I think I've written down. So what is an ally? How can we, And how can we be allies? How can we yeah. have ministries that ally with marginalized people? That, that, that's another one that really resonates with me and my, my sense of calling. Um, so that, that, that relates to the prophet. And, um, in, you know, in the kingdom of God, there are those who are called to speak truth to power, those who are called to speak about justice to point out injustice. Now, you may be a, a prophetic type in, in a Western context, and, um, and that's fantastic. Yeah. Speaking out against injustice, I'm passionate about that myself. But my role when I go to Phnom Penh, Cambodia, is not to lead the protest march, but to amplify the voices of those who are local prophets, who are speaking out against injustice. I'll give you an example. Uh, we've been evicted from two slums in Cambodia, along with our neighbors. Um, and one of the women that was evicted from her slum, um, she had nowhere to go. She, so she and some, some other women who had also lost their homes dragged their $10 wooden beds into the busiest intersection in Cambodia, you know, just hundreds of cars honking, you can imagine. Um, and there they are. They say, we have no place to lay our head. The government has evicted us. And immediately they are arrested, bundled into vans and taken off and charged, and they're thrown into jail for a year. Wow. Now, my role is to be bear witness to that injustice, to speak up to use my circle of influence, my network, which goes way beyond hers, beyond Cambodia, and amplify her voice because God's heart breaks when the poor are crushed. 
And it takes profits to speak up against that. But again, my role is not to lead that, but to be an ally to her, come alongside and amplify her voice. Mm. How do how do you think evangelism can be done as alongsiders? Mm. And and can evangelists yeah. and should evangelists be seekers? Yes, yes. So th- this this one is this is my contention anyway. Um, having lived in Cambodia for many many years, and. My sense is that we don't bring Jesus to any place. Jesus is already there. God is already there. Um, Just as Paul went to Athens and said, this is the unknown God that you've created. Um, God is already in conversation with people. And our our role as as outsiders is to seek out the the ways that God is in conversation with people already through their own culture and religion. I'll give you an example. my wife now is Cambodian and her mother was brought up in a Buddhist um, the Buddhist culture and religion of Cambodia. As as her mother sat on the knee of, of her mother in turn, the grandmother, she was filled with these stories and legends of what Buddha taught. And Buddha taught that after him, uh, according to Cambodian legend, after Buddha would come one who was to be greater than Buddha himself, who would come with discs in his hands and in his feet and would be known as the king of peace. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, Nay's mom and, uh, got to the refugee camp and heard about Jesus, the prince of peace, who had laid down his life and had holes in his hands and his feet, she immediately recognized um, what had been brewing in her heart. And so to help Cambodians discover how God is already in conversation with them, is the role of a seeker rather than this triumphalistic, I bring Jesus to you, I know everything that you need to know and just you need a download from me. Um, It's being in conversation with people. Yes, and recognizing that in many of these cultures, in most cultures of the world, uh, the uh, the various myths and and uh, traditions, some God has used and inspired in in some yeah. cases, and it, they're pointing forward to Christ. They're all pointing forward to Christ. That's right. I mean, Lewis Marcos right. is is great on this, talking about the ancient mm. Greek and Roman myths and how they prefigure the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they're Don, Don Richardson's book, yeah. um, Peace Baby, about the redemptive analogies that we find in yeah. every culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's there, isn't it? Now, um, how can Bible teachers be, I mean, you write about Bible teachers being guides in a local Mm, local mm. mission context. Now, explain Mm. how that works in your view. Yeah. So so what I want to suggest is the role of a a teacher, you know, we may be teachers in, in New Zealand or Australia or UK, but we go to another culture where we are outsiders and we don't actually have a full understanding of their culture. I've been in Cambodia 15, 20 years and I'm still have so much to learn. Um, our role really is to be guides, to guide the students, to guide those who are learning, to discover um, the truth and the solutions for themselves. And if in the context of being Bible teachers within the scriptures is to understand and interpret them within their own context, um, not to come to them with the answers and say, well, this is what this must mean for you, but to say what, what uh, to pose questions, as Paulo Freire says um, in, his, in his understanding of what education should look like, is to be question posers. Because when people, dis- we all know this, when people discover 
the answers for themselves. It's that much more powerful, isn't it, when you have a real aha moment. And then those solutions are much more likely to be carried out and taken forward. Mm. Yes. How can we fund mission work in local communities without huge injections of foreign cash? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Um, And there are times when money is helpful, for sure. But we just have to recognize that it's like dynamite. It's very dangerous. Um, During COVID, um, within the Along Sides Movement around the world, many, many communities were really really struggling because their economic capacity was shut down. And so what the alongsiders began to do was um, to, to collect, you know, just like the early churches, collect uh, rice or, or supplies that they would share with their neighbors. And so what we began to do as, a, as an international organization was say to them, um, what if we came alongside you in your efforts? If you If you are able to, collect $50 worth of resource rice to to distribute to your neighbors, we will match that. And so it's not overwhelming, is it? And it's not taking away the empowerment and the, you know, the sense of, wow, we did this. It's coming alongside them and saying, we'll match what you've done, whether it's $50, $100. It's not injecting $10,000 suddenly into a situation. And so next time there's a crisis, they will be able to say, we have something to offer. We can do something as well. Um, it's not that we immediately look to the foreigners. Um, now, obviously, every situation is different. I'm simply giving that as one example of how we can come alongside in ways that don't overwhelm local communities. Mm. Uh, where can people find you? We've, I think we're just about out of time, Craig. Where can people find you on social media? Sure. Well, uh, my website, craiggreenfield.com, and you can take a, a five missional types quiz test there to see which, which type you like um, and download a PDF about, about those different types. Of course, my book, Subversive Mission, um, is out November 1st. And for the Alongsiders movement, that's alongsiders.org, um, and you can learn about what's happening in, in 25 countries around the world with mm. this youth discipleship movement. Yeah, no, there's some fabulous resources there. Thank you so much. Craig Greenfield, uh, the founder and director of Alongsiders International, this grassroots movement of young Christians reaching the world's poorest children. And the Alongsiders idea works in any um, uh, evangelistic context. I've tried it. it I did it in New Zealand for four years, and it, it, it mm-hmm. really, I think it pays, uh, it, it, it pays off. I think it's yes. a, an effective way of, of working with a local community. Absolutely. And the, and the new book is from IVP, our friends in America, InterVarsity Press, called Subversive Mission, Serving as Outsiders in a World of Need. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge Creative, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes and among other things try and keep me under control which they find difficult i think from time to time (laughs) anyway (laughs) god bless you craig thank you so much bless you too thank you brent appreciate it we really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the god story podcast if you want to help us make more great episodes like this one you can head over to our patreon page and become a god story podcast supporter you'll receive our undying gratitude plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com. <laughs>